if you ever run across something, uh, some question, some issue that is a, a big deal in your life, and it could affect a lot of other people, but they don't even seem to know that it's an issue, that it's a thing. Um, that happens sometimes. I thought, I thought of one example. How many of you knew, and I'm going to ask for some audience participation here even this morning. So by show of hands, how many of you knew that earlier in this year, in this growing season, there was a real question as to whether or not farmers in this country would be able to apply a herbicide called dicamba to their dicamba-ready soybeans that they'd already planted? How many of you knew that that was an issue? Put your hands up if you knew that was an issue. So if you don't have your hand up, I assume that you're like me, or you were like me before I overheard a farmer and a fertilizer guy talking about that issue, that you have no idea what I'm even talking about, right? Well, here was the deal. Apparently, and I'll, I'll probably get this wrong, so go easy on me, farmers. Uh, apparently, there's a special kind of soybean seed. Like all of it, it's very expensive. You plant this, and you can spray this stuff called dicamba on it, and it'll kill all the weeds. But the government, for whatever reason, decided that was no longer a good idea, and it was outlawed. And here were these farmers who already had this planted, and suddenly it was going to be illegal for them to spray what they needed to spray on those soybeans. And so there were guys uh, and gals, growers, who thought, is this the thing that's going to finally ruin me in an already less than stellar time to be a farmer. Is this going to be it? This was a real thing. And most of us had no idea. Now, for the rest of us, even those of us who didn't have our hands up, issues that could ruin farmers, could that have a big impact on the rest of our community? Absolutely. And I assume but this was not just the case here, but this was all over the country. So here was an issue most people had no idea was even an issue that could have had huge impacts on people that didn't even know it was a thing. Does that happen sometimes? It does. Well, this morning, we're going to begin a new section of the book of Romans. Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 are a unit that go together, and they involve a, a question, an issue that most people for sure, and even most Christians, would sort of roll their eyes at and go, why are we even talking about this? Why is this even a thing? The question could be stated like this, what about Israel? Or is God done with Israel? Or maybe it could be stated in a series of questions that go something like this. Do most like genetic descendants of Israel, in the world today we call most of them Jews, do most Jews believe in Jesus for salvation? No. So according to everything we've read so far in the book of Romans, that means most Jews are, are lost. They're still in their sin. They're headed for wrath, for destruction, for hell. But if we read the Old Testament, we read God making some very real promises to Israel 
Israel was adopted by God, chosen by God, promised an eternal relationship with God. But as it stands right now, most descendants of Israel are lost. What gives? Now, why would Paul take time out to talk about this? Well, let me show you where this fits in the flow of the book. We, we've been studying Romans 1 through 8. I'll go this way because you read left to right. Um, so far, what we've read is our need for the gospel, why we need it, what it is, and the hope that we have because of the gospel. We just got done reading Romans chapter 8, which some people call the, the best chapter in the whole Bible. By the way, nobody says that about Romans 9, 10, and 11. I want you to be warned from up front. Uh, but Paul just said, because of the gospel, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which we have in Christ Jesus. Fast forward to chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul's going to get practical. He's going to tell us, because of everything I told you in Romans 1 through 8, here's how your life should look different. That's Romans chapter 12. So in between all the theology that tells us why we need the gospel and what the gospel is and the hope we have because of the gospel and the practical applications of that, Paul spends three chapters dealing with this question. What about Israel? Why would he do such a thing? Well, it's one of those questions that is a big deal, even if we don't know it's a thing. Because when we get to chapter 12 and Paul starts teaching us how our lives should look if we believe 1 through 8, all that stuff we're supposed to do differently than we used to do them or than the rest of the world does them, we will only look like that if we really believe what we've studied to date in the book of Romans. We have to really believe there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus because of the gospel so that when the pain starts, I, don't, I won't just do anything to make the pain go away. I will try to overwhelmingly conquer, use that to glorify Christ. I will, I will only do those things if I believe these things. Okay? So here's why what about Israel has to be answered before Paul feels like he can get practical. Because we need to know we can really believe God's promises. Or we won't live like we believe God's promises. We have to actually believe this stuff or we will not live like we believe this stuff. So Paul told us, we've been foreknown and predestined and chosen and adopted and all these things, and so nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, right? But check this out. He said some of the same things about Israel, and most of them are not going to heaven when they die. So what gives? Click me one time there, Sam, would you? There we go. Deuteronomy 
That's in the Old Testament. God said this about Israel. For you, Israel, are a people holy to the Lord your God. He has chosen you to be his people, prized above all others on the face of the earth. Paul told us we are chosen, but God told Israel they were were chosen, and they're not going to heaven, most of them. How about this one? Through Isaiah, God promised Israel this, for just as the new heavens and the new earth I'm about to make will remain standing before me, says the Lord, so your descendants and your name will remain. God promised to keep Israel, Israel forever and ever. And in Jeremiah, the Lord has made a promise to Israel. He promises it as the one who fixed the sun to give light by day and the moon and the stars to give light by night. He promises this promise as the one who stirs up the sea and all uh, so that its waves roll. In other words, he promises this the same way. It's always going to happen. It's never going to stop. What is this promise? Verse 36, the Lord affirms the descendants of Israel will not cease forever to be a nation in my sight. That could only happen, that could only cease if the fixed ordering of the heavenly lights were to cease to operate before me. Israel's always going to be a people. My love is always going to remain on them. Uh, We could read elsewhere in the New Testament, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, where Israel was adopted by God as God's special son. Do you see the problem Paul has told us nothing can separate us from the love of God because we've been adopted. We've been chosen. We've been promised God's love will never be separated from us. But God made those same promises to Israel and they're lost. And here's why this is a problem for us. Paul didn't write this to Israel. Paul wrote this to the church. Here's why this is a problem for us. Can we believe God's promises? You want to answer yes, don't you? But what if we can find even one promise that God promised that he's not keeping? And we don't know what to do with his promises. Here's why this is a problem for us. I want to believe what we've studied in Romans 1 through 8, that nothing's going to separate me from the love of God, which I have in Christ Jesus. Nothing's going to pluck me out of his hand. I'm completely secure But what if God made the same sort of promises to Israel and they are all lost? What do I do then? That's the question. That's the problem. It's going to take us some time to answer that question. It took me about 15 minutes to ask that question. We're going to be answering those questions over the next three chapters. Today, Paul's mostly just going to introduce this question and this problem. In uh, Romans chapter 9, we're going to read the first five verses today. Uh, This is the New American Standard version on the screen. And Paul writes this way. Paul says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. 
For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers or the forefathers or the patriarchs and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. There's our passage. That is Paul's introduction to this new section that's all about what about Israel. And today's passage begins um, with Paul stating that he has got this great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. There's something going on that's causing Paul extreme emotional distress, pain. He's very clear about that. You know what he's not clear about that, at least right away? He's not clear about the actual cause of that grief or pain. Those of us who've read this before, we know what it is. But if you read chapter 9, Paul never comes out and says, what is the cause of this pain? He does say in the next verse or two, it has something to do uh, with his kinsmen, uh, for his kinsmen according to the flesh, whom he calls Israelites. So it has something to do with Israel. But read all of chapter 9, I have. He doesn't come out and say what's causing him this pain. We have to go all the way to the beginning of chapter 10 before Paul says it. Here's what's causing him this pain. He says to the Roman church, Brothers or brethren or brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God on behalf of my fellow Israelites is for their salvation. Here's why that's important. Here's where Paul says very clearly, my fellow Jews are lost. They're headed for wrath. If they die today before they accept the gospel, they're going to go to hell. And that's what's breaking Paul's heart. Paul knows better than anyone that his fellow Jews, the Israelites, have rejected the gospel. How does Paul know the Jews have rejected the gospel? Because they've rejected Paul for preaching the gospel. Paul's normal um, schedule as he traveled from city to city with the gospel, he would start in a synagogue, which is like a church for Jewish people. He would start there, he would get a turn to speak, and he would preach that Jesus is our Messiah, Jewish people. Most of the time, they would kick Paul out of the synagogue. Uh, one time, they threw big rocks at him till they thought he was dead. That's a pretty clear sign they've rejected the message, okay? They knew. Uh, Paul knew better than anyone. The Jews have rejected the gospel. And here's why this is so important. This, this book we've been reading, Romans, Paul's main idea, Romans 1, 16 and 17, is where Paul said, there is only one way... That God, the God of the universe, can point his power at you in a way where you are saved by his power instead of being condemned by his power. And Paul calls that the gospel. Then Paul tells everybody why we all need the gospel. Then he tells us what the gospel is. More on that later. But here very clearly, 
Paul says, I don't care what family you were born into. I don't care if you're Jewish. I don't care if you're an Israelite. If you don't believe the gospel, you are lost. And it pains him. The reason I make a big deal about Paul not just coming out and saying, he never says, my Jewish brothers and sisters are going to hell. You know why? I, it takes him a chapter before he can even write it down. You know why? That's a really hard thing to say about people you love. It's much easier to just pretend everyone in my family is going to heaven. But everybody in Paul's family is not. And it breaks his heart. And so he prays, he says at the beginning of chapter 10, for the salvation of Israel. Now, how, how badly does this hurt? How much does Paul wish this were not true about his fellow Israelites? Check out what he says next. In verse 3, in the very beginning of verse 4, Paul says, I almost wish that I myself could be accursed, cut off from Christ. That's what accursed means. For the sake of my people, my fellow countrymen who are Israelites. Here's what Paul says there. Paul is, first of all, he's using hyperbole, which is where you use overstatement to make a point. Paul's not saying something that, he, that is literally true. Paul knows this could never work. What Paul just said is, I wish I could be cursed by God, separated from Christ, if it meant my fellow Jews could be accepted by God through Christ. That can't happen for two main reasons. One, Paul just got done telling us at the end of chapter 8, how many things can separate a believer in Jesus Christ from the love of God? How many things? Zero things. Paul gave us a huge list. There's no power. There's no distance. There's no nothing that could ever separate a believer from the love of Christ. So Paul could not be accursed from Christ because he's a believer in Christ. He just said that. He hasn't changed his mind. There's another reason why this wouldn't work. The reason Paul's fellow Israelites are in trouble with God is because they've rejected the only person about whom a trade-off like this could actually work. There is a trade-off. There is a person who became a curse so that other people could be accepted. His name is Jesus. Paul couldn't give up Paul's life to save the Jews. That's what he's saying. I almost wish because they missed Jesus, they missed their Christ. I almost wish we could try this again and God would let me go through what Jesus went through. If I could be cursed for them, I would. But there is only one Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had already been crucified, already been buried, already rose again, already ascended into heaven. And Paul says, I would go through that if I could. But Paul dying for someone else's sins wouldn't do him much good. Interestingly enough, Paul is going to be executed, and it actually will help people believe, will help people get saved. Paul's not going to be crucified. He's not going to become the curse 
we should have been, but Paul, had, you know, hate to, uh, you know, spoiler alert here if you don't know the story of Paul, but he gets his head cut off by the Romans. And that's one thing that lets people like us know, hey, he actually believed what he was preaching. And he preached, I saw Jesus alive. Nobody dies for a lie. Either Paul and Peter and James and John and all of these other guys who were executed for their, either they really saw Jesus or they were crackers. It's one or the other. But Paul says there, it hurts my heart so much that my fellow Israelites are headed for hell that I almost wish I could become the curse for them, though I can't. And then to round out this introduction to this uh, section of 9 through 11, Paul sort of says, I'll grant you this. He admits it's a real surprise that Israel of all people rejected Jesus. That's what Paul seems to say in the the second part of verse 4 and verse 5. Paul lays out all of these advantages that Israel had that other nations didn't have. Paul has been very clear. The only way anybody's going to be saved by God is if they accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, man, when I think about it, it's kind of crazy that we Jews are the ones that have by and large rejected this Christ and the Gentiles are the ones that are accepting him. Listen to all the advantages, Paul says, Israel had. To them belong, so God gave as, as property, as, as a belonging, these things to Israel and nobody else. The adoption as sons, God adopted Israel as his special nation corporately. That does not mean every individual Jew uh, will be in heaven. It does not mean every individual Jew has received the adoption as sons that Paul talked about uh, in chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. More on that next week. But to Israel, they received the glory. Here's what that means. There were several times in Israel's history where God, like, literally showed up and showed a manifestation of himself to Israel. At Mount Sinai, he was this huge, smoky thunderstorm with a siren blast, a horn blast, and an earthquake. People saw that. Um, when the temple, or excuse me, when the tabernacle was, start, was started, they could see a, a visible presence of God in there. That's an advantage. Because God showed up and showed this one people, I'm the real God you've got to believe in. So all their descendants had that advantage in their culture. The rest of us pagan Gentiles didn't have that advantage in our culture. These people got the covenants and the law and the temple worship. I don't have time to go through all these, but all the covenants in the Old Testament and the law, which is itself a covenant, and the temple worship, all those things pointed to Jesus Christ. We've talked about this a lot in in Sunday school lately, but all of the Old Testament worship where you had to bring an animal, You'd confess your sin and your dad or your grandpa would put his hand 
on the head of an animal and confess all of your family's sin, like placing it on that animal, and then they would kill that animal and bleed it out. And it would become a substitute. It would die in your place. That points to Jesus Christ, who's the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. It was very hard to get close to God's holy place. Jesus opened the way to God. All of this stuff points to Jesus. So it was such a tremendous advantage. Israel had all this information. They shouldn't have missed that Jesus is the one they were waiting on. But they did, or Paul wouldn't be praying for their salvation. He'd be rejoicing in their salvation. To them also belonged the patriarchs, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the heroes of the faith. But notice this. Paul changes his tune a little bit right here. He says, and from them, from Israel, by human descent came the Christ. All of this other stuff, all of these other advantages belong only to Israel. No other nation is God's chosen nation. No other nation got the glory and the covenants and the law and the temple worship and the promises and the patriarchs. Only Israel, but the Christ is not only for Israel. It is from Israel. He is from Israel. The Christ is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And that's our whole passage today. That's all we're going to study. So, what about Israel? We haven't got that far yet. What about that God promised that Israel would always have a relationship with him and that Jews are dying in droves in Paul's day and in today and the overwhelming majority of them do not know Jesus as Savior and are going to go to hell forever and ever. How do we reconcile those things that God promised some things to Israel that he hasn't delivered? We'll get there. How about this? God can choose to make anyone believe in Jesus. Why wouldn't he just choose to make Israel believe? We haven't got there yet. We've just introduced the problem. For today, just know this. God's going to keep every promise he made to Israel. He's got plenty of time to keep every promise he ever made to Israel. But for us, just from this introductory passage, what can, we learn, what can we take home today? Three things from this passage that I really want you to consider and think about this morning and the rest of this week. First, this passage teaches us the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. I know that that sounds like a very exclusive and hateful message, but if if this book is true, you cannot read the book of Romans and think there is another way. Here's how this passage teaches us this, though. If there was any people anywhere on the face of the globe who could be saved apart from accepting Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be Israel? Wouldn't it be God's chosen people? It would. If there's anybody who could be saved by being good, by being decent, or by having it really rough on earth, like who's had it worse than Israel? If there's anyone who could be saved apart from the gospel, 
it would be Israel. And Paul makes very clear, it tears him up inside because he knows. The overwhelming majority of descendants of Israel, as they die, do not go to heaven. That's why he prays for their salvation. And again, that's really a difficult thing to admit about people you love. Second thing this passage reminds us of, I'll ask it in the form of a question. Do you have a heart for people whom I will call the lost? Do you have a heart for people who if they die today will not go to heaven? face eternal condemnation. There's a difference between saying, do you wish other people would be saved and do you have a heart for them? Here's the difference. I have to admit sometimes, sometimes I have unbelieving neighbors. Sometimes I'm just happy that they kind of leave us alone and we leave them alone. I need to repent of that. Because my unbelieving neighbors, if they die, they're going to spend eternity in hell. If the book of Romans and the apostle Paul are telling the truth. Do we make God grow in us a heart for the lost? And finally, the third thing that this passage teaches us is just... Don't miss what all of this points to. I see that in the passage when Paul goes through all those advantages that Israel had. Israel had all of the information anyone should have needed to be able to recognize, wait, Jesus is the Christ, the Savior I need, the mediator between God and men. But they missed it. And all of the advantages are no advantage if you miss what those advantages point to. And don't think that doesn't happen today. And don't think that doesn't happen to us filthy Gentiles. In America, the gospel is everywhere. I'm not saying everyone knows the gospel, but it's all over the place. You can have the gospel on your phone in five seconds. No one in America lives more than a 15-minute drive, maybe some, at least in the lower 48. Nobody lives an hour drive away from a church that doesn't understand and know and teach the gospel. It's everywhere. But we're constantly missing the one the church is supposed to point to. Personal story for, for Rachel and me. When we got married, we didn't go to a church like this one. We went to a more... A liturgical church, the high church. We went to a more formal, a more sort of ritual-based church. That's why our first two babies were baptized when they were babies in that church. And we left that church, that kind of church. You know why? It's not because the gospel wasn't there. Because sometimes we all stood up at the same time and recited the actual gospel. It's not because everyone in that church is going to hell because her dad, I can promise you, is going to heaven and he's still in that church. Here's why we had to, left, we had to leave. 
for our conscience sake, because it was so easy, we thought, for people to believe, to be there and think, I am okay with God because I'm here. Because I come to the holy place and the holy man is there and he tells me what to do. And as long as I do the right things, at the end of the service, he tells me I'm going to heaven because I was here. Your sins are forgiven. And I can remember thinking, how does he know that? And I would read the book of Romans, the gospel of John, where these men don't tell, don't tell us anything about doing stuff like that. You know what they tell us? Believe, believe, believe. John, Jesus' best friend, says believe, have faith. Like a hundred times almost in the gospel of John. And he doesn't tell us anything about going to a certain kind of church or reciting things or doing these rituals. And we thought, boy, it's too easy to be here and think I'm okay with God just because I'm here. So we wanted to go someplace that taught this book. Now, just because you come here, I don't want you to think this is any less true. You are not okay with God because you don't go to church down the street and you come to church here. Do you know that? On what do you depend for your eternal life? What do you trust in for your eternal life? Do you want to know what you trust in? I can show you, or I can lead you to show yourself what you trust in for your eternal life. You ready? Imagine this. Imagine today is the day that you die and you stand before God. And what if God asked you this? I know everything you've ever done. Why should I let you into heaven instead of casting you into hell? How would you answer that question? I want to give you a minute. If God asked you, why should I let you into heaven instead of sending you to hell? I know everything you have ever done. Why should I let you in? What would you say? If you answer that question honestly, you know what you are depending on, believing in for your salvation. That's it. So if you said things like, hey, I've tried really hard to be good. I've tried to live like Jesus. If you've said, if you, if you mentioned uh, church attendance or any religious thing that you have ever done, I want you to know I would be very worried about your eternity. I don't want you to be comfortable that you are going to heaven because you come here. If you would answer that question with anything besides what Jesus did, the finished work of Christ on the cross, then I would say, I'd be very concerned about your eternal state right now. Here's just two things Paul said in this book that we've already read, Romans 6.23. I want to I let you know how you can know that you have eternal life. 
In Romans 6.23, we've already been there. Paul said, the wages of sin is death. You know what wages are. What are wages? Don't think in churchy terms. Think of just in the world. What are wages? Wages is what you earn for what you do. Correct? Well, what you earn for your sin, according to Paul, is death. Paul went out of his way in the first three chapters of this book to let all of us know none of us have been good enough to be in eternal life, to go to heaven because of how good we've been, because of how religious we have been. You know why? Because what we have earned, if we have ever sinned, is death. It's been a while since I said this one, but in the Bible, death is never the annihilation of one thing. Death is always the separation of two things. What I earn from my sin, if I'm going to get what I deserve from God, if I have ever sinned, and I have, and so have you, is I'm going to get all kinds of death. I'm going to get a physical death someday where my spirit's going to separate from my body. I will be physically dead. But spiritual death is when my soul is separated from God. And eternal death is when that separation from God lasts forever and ever and ever. And that's what we all earn if we have ever sinned. Let me show you one of my favorite words in the whole Bible. I put it in all caps on the screen. What we earn because of our sin is eternal death. But, thank God there's a but. But there is a gift of God. That gift is eternal life that comes to those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if when I asked you, how would you answer this question? God says, why should I let you into heaven? If you said anything, if you trust in anything that you have done to get you into heaven, my friend, you're not looking for a gift from God. You are looking for wages. And your wages aren't going to get you into heaven. They're going to get you condemnation. We need a gift from God. So who gets a free gift? You don't earn a gift or it ain't a gift. Who gets the free gift of God? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus our Lord? In Romans chapter 3, Paul told us, Paul said, all, how many people? All people who are justified. Justified means to be declared good enough to go to heaven. All people are justified freely. That's a gift. By his grace, which just means I get something good I didn't earn. It's the opposite of wages. People are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You want to know if you're going to heaven? Here's what you have to trust in. You have to trust in the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redeem is a financial word. It just means to pay a price that's required for something. What is, what is required for your sin? We just read it. Death. The wages of sin is death. You can pay. I don't know what happened right there, but it's okay. You can pay the, your own tab for your sin. Do you know you can pay for your own sins? You can. That's why hell was created. People are going to pay for their own sin forever and ever and ever. Or 
you can let Jesus pick up the tab for your sin. That's what redemption means. He paid the price required for your sin. That is the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God sent Jesus to earth. He lived the perfect life. He never sinned. He never earned any wrath because he never sinned. And God allowed him to be destroyed on the cross. You know what he was doing there? Redeeming those who would believe in him. Jesus' best friend, John, said, I told you these, these things so that you can know that you have eternal life. I told these things to you who believe so that you can know that you have eternal life. Do you want to know that you have eternal life? Believe that Jesus did everything you needed done so that you can go to heaven. It is a free gift. It wasn't. Does that sound too easy, too good to be true? It wasn't easy for him. It wasn't free to him. It's just free to us. Point three this morning was don't miss what all this points to. I don't want you to come here and have really good attendance so that you can think you're going to heaven. You are not going to heaven unless you believe Jesus died for your sins and trust that what he did makes up for everything you failed to do and all the bad things that you have done. And you can, you can decide to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ anytime. You can do it right now. All you have to do is believe because I don't want you to miss what all of this points to. I don't want you to think this is the holy place and I'm the holy man who's going to tell you you're okay with God. I'm not. He was the holy man and he paid the price, your sin debt. And if you believe in him, he will make sure you are with him one day. Pray with me. We'll close. Father God, if there is someone here this morning who never understood that or someone who answered that question, uh, that hypothetical, why should God let me into heaven one day? If they answered that with things they had done or tried to do, I pray you'd work in their heart to change their heart to accept a free gift that comes to those who believe. And you would lead them in their heart to just just tell you, I, I understand and I believe that Jesus did everything it takes for me to have the free gift of eternal life. God, lead us to, to repent of our sin, but also to repent of our righteous deeds that we think make us stand before you and depend wholly and completely on Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. Thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen.